Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello there, everybody in the universe. And I assume that uh, it's not just planet Earth that's listening to this, but um, I'm sure there are other planets, other star systems out there which are somehow managing to tune in uh, to episodes of Luke's English Podcast. Well, because iTunes is, exists in those other planets now. Yeah, why not? Why Maybe we are being observed by alien life, yeah. and what they have done is they've invented incredibly advanced technology which allows them to uh, tap into everything that happens on Earth, and the main reason, the, the focus of that is just so that they can download episodes of Luke's English podcast. Well, because like everyone else on planet Earth, you know, they, they also want to improve their English, so... Yeah, exactly, yes. It's normal that people from Andromeda are... Yeah. Alpha Centauri or, or yeah. wherever it is they, they're, they're tuning in from, yeah. one of the moons of Jupiter or whatever. Yes, they, they too need to improve their English yeah. so that when they eventually do come down, they'll be able to say, look, it's okay, put the guns away. We mean you no harm. Take us to your leader. Yeah. Maybe we should just give a little crash course for the aliens, how they should, you know, what they should be saying at the beginning yeah. when they do, you know, try to make contact. What do you think if if we were to give some advice to aliens on how they should open a little communicative discourse with uh, the people of Earth? I think they should try to take a selfie with, with humankind. Like I think yeah. that's kind of how they should buddy up with us. Okay. Like, hey, I you want let's take a selfie together. You think that would be the approach? The sort of like, hey, oh, uh, I'm like one of you guys. Yeah, it's like uh, I like your trainers. Let's yeah. take a selfie. Cheat, you know, <laughs> cheese. The Jeez. peace sign. Yeah, which is like two out of their three fingers. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just trying to make a peace sign with just, you know, limited digits on the hand there. That's the approach. And yeah. then just like, how would an alien strike up conversation with a, just a normal human? I don't know why I'm asking you this, Sebastian, because... That's a very good question, though. Have you have you ever thought about this before? Uh, I, I, I think, yeah, I think you kind of try to use like our language... But in a forced way, like as if they're just kind of reading from a translation mm. of like Zarknorf into English dictionary, right? You know, and just like saying things literally. It's gonna, yeah. Just like me, content in you, <laughs> you know? right? And they, they got no sense of irony, yeah, or oh, something none whatsoever. Yeah, um, no, reg- no, no ability to register humor. Yeah, like like as if they understood everything. They've they've been observing us for a long time. And they they've understand everything except humor. They've they've been observing us for a long time, but they've they've just completely misunderstood um, almost all of the social interactions that they've seen. But they think that they know what it, they, you know. They think they've got it. So okay, we've got the humans now. Let's go and make contact. But they've completely we were, we were joking the entire time, aliens. Yeah. You didn't realize. Yeah. And they come down expecting you know the Earth to be a certain way. It's like no, it's ironic. The Earth is a lot more ironic than. They imagine. They imagine. They take everything at face value. It's a. <laughs> they don't like as if irony hasn't arrived in that planet. Yeah. Yes. 
Well, anyway, um, if you are listening to this and you are from outer space, then do realise that sometimes uh, humour is employed on Earth as a way of breaking the ba- breaking the, the ice um, and just sort of like, you know... Bringing people together. Exactly. It's a good way to just have a laugh at um, the ridiculousness of existence. Um, and that means just uh, having a bit of fun and telling a few jokes, right? Yeah. Um, okay, so I was going to say on the subject of jokes, I'm joined today by uh, my friend Sebastian Marx, a New Yorker in Paris, uh, as he's known around here because he does a one-man show every week in English and in French called um, A New Yorker in Paris. Is Indeed. the French show also called A New Yorker in no, Paris? No, it's called A New Yorker in Paris. Okay, which basically means <laughs> A New Yorker in Paris if you don't speak French. So, obviously, Sebastian is a, a comic, uh, a, not a comic book, but a, a person who, who performs comedy. Comedian a, or comedian. a comic? We, I, say, I say both. People, say, people do say comic for a person, don't they? I, I, think, I think, like, if you're among comics, we say comic, but I think other people say comedian. Right. Okay. Do you think comedian's got a slightly negative, maybe a slightly pejorative I think, I sense? Think that's kind of why I don't like to use it. Yeah. I use it when I'm trying to, like, describe myself to someone else. Yeah. Um, outside of uh, comedy, but I, I usually like to say comic, but I'm not sure why. I'm not, I'm, it's it's a bit comedian more, sounds like a clown. Like there's a clown. Yeah. It's side like what are you, it. some kind of a comedian? comedian? Exactly. Yeah, it's it can be used as a put down, but a yeah. comic is just a bit more cool. Yeah, it's it, it's more cool and sounds more professional. A stand up is quite good as well. Yeah, we'll but I'd never say that I'm. Hey, yeah, I'm a I'm a stand up. Uh, I never say that. I I always, ne- I've never said that, and I don't no, think I, I, I ever will. I always say, yeah, I do stand-up. Not yeah. that I am a stand-up, but no, I do do it. I do it, yeah. Because otherwise it's, it just makes you sound like you're too big-headed or something. Yeah. Yes, anyway. but as, as if you are an art. Yes, I am a, yeah, I'm a stand-up. <laughs> I am film. Yeah, So, but uh, so you do stand-up, and you've been on the podcast before. Yes, I have. Several times. I think so. Yeah. Um, we had tea. We, we were in Caen. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I brought you on the pot. Okay, listeners, let, do you know what my listeners are called? They have nicknames. Mm. Uh, the podcast is called Luke's English Podcast. Yeah, L E P Lep. Okay. Yeah. Now, what would you call the people of Lep? <laughs> Lepers. Lepers. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Um, and so have they? They gotten that joke? Or yeah, they got the joke. Okay. Yeah, it took a little while. <laughs> to be honest, the first time I I described my listeners as lepers, yeah. it just sort of came up. It just sort of came out as i was trying to search for names for the for the listeners and yeah. lepers appeared and i i riffed on it a little bit but then i thought no i don't think anyone realizes that that's also the name of someone who has leprosy <laughs> um and i was sort of you know it was like a sort of tongue-in-cheek thing uh, at the beginning and then people started to realize and i got a, a comment from a regular listener who had just watched the life of brian Ah, the Monty Python film. Wonderful. One and there's a scene with a, with a leper in yep. it. Um, and he who would got like, better. Who got who got better. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, he met Jesus. Yeah. Let's not go into the religious stuff, <laughs> I guess. But anyway, um, he texted and he was like, you know, I just watched Monty Python and what do you, what's this leper thing? <laughs> so anyway, lepers or, or lepens or lepians or lepsters or... Lepsters. Lepsters yeah. is quite good. Yeah. Uh, leperholics, there's, mm-hmm. you know... It's a bit like Mark Maron's uh, yeah. thing, but, um, um, you know, pretty much the same kind of thing. Anyway, now, um, if you've listened to Sebastian on the podcast before, you will know that he's American. And I was thinking um, that uh, since I've got an American, I've kind of, I haven't kidnapped yes, you. Yes, you 
You've kidnapped me in my own home. That's right. Sebastian invited me around and we had sushi and we've been talking and stuff. And uh, so I thought, right, I want to know about America because America is um, this thing that's present in the lives of lots of people who are not from the country, right? And, you know, obviously I grew up in the UK, uh, in Europe, and we get lots and lots of American products and American culture and films. And it's, you know, like uh, it's, it's influenced our cultures a, a massive amount. Um, and uh, so we get a certain sort of version of America, the, the, the kind of public image that you get in the Hollywood films and all that kind of thing. Um, so America's and, and also sort of America being the first economy for so many years, America's business affects business around the world. So America's business is sort of our business, too. And I feel like America um, has taken on this idea also that the American struggle is also the world's struggle. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, the idea that um, that somehow we're all rooting for America to succeed, and if and if it does, then it proves that this model of the capitalist sort of uh, democracy works, and so we're all rooting for freedom and so on. So um, I wanted to know all about you know, America and get to get to know it in a bit more detail so that we get beyond just the Hollywood version. And I thought, well, I can't ask everyone in America certain questions. I can't ask everyone in America. So what, I've, what I'm doing is um, going to ask uh, one uh, guy and he's not even in America. Um, so it's, it may not be the most um, representative survey, but this, is, this episode of the podcast is going to be a sort of documentary interview uh, with an American person in order to just try and understand America in a bit more detail. Are you okay with that, Sebastian? Oh, I feel lots of pressure. Okay. Uh, you, you are expected now to sum up the whole ideology, to not just sum it up, but to also to justify it to the, to the people of uh, planet Earth. Okay? Yeah. America's on trial uh-huh. uh, in this episode. Yeah, and I'm the lawyer. You're the attorney for America. Yeah. Exactly. And you have to sort of plead the case uh, in a reasonable manner. For America, and then the rest of the world will judge <laughs> this your country. Based on my words tonight. <laughs> um, um, it's not quite as serious as that, of course. Uh, I think it's a fascinating subject because I've just spent uh, a semester at the university um, dealing with this topic, and so it's you know something I've been considering. So, just to make it extra difficult for you at the beginning, Sebastian, I'm going to ask you: How do you assess America's place in the world at this moment in time? Go. <laughs> well, it's kind of, I want to talk about what you said before, why the States is kind of seen like um, the most important country in the sense that uh, we we want the whole world to root for us and what happens in the States, what happens in the world. It's because I feel like the United States sees itself as an experiment. Yeah, like really? an experiment of, of modern life. Yeah. In the sense that we identify ourselves as kind of the immigration country and mm-hmm. so we represent the world that's our okay. belief that somehow we have the whole world represented that people from all over the world came to the united states because they believed in a similar ideology right and so all these people i mean this is of course very uh ide- idealistic yeah idealistic um to say but like that that the idea that everyone has, has a similar way of looking at the world and so they all all come to this continent which is an open continent which is of course Mm. totally false because there were people living here well in the states before native americans exactly um and but that that everyone coming there since is kind of like the world united 
in this similar project. Right. Okay. Now, what is that project or that idea? That well, I do think about? it's this idea of freedom and uh, freedom is the kind of the key word. Right. But also that means implies economic freedom that okay. if, if I want to start a business, I can, there should be no government to tell me how to run my business yeah. or how to limit me. Right. Um, and so, of course, th- this has created a big uh, backlash and a mi- uh, mise en question, uh, you know, people putting in question this um, ideology and saying, well, is this really what's best for the states? Is it what's best for the world? But, you know, I feel like the world doesn't mind as such that it's like a high ideal and that America is like going for it. But there's something else that at the university, we came across this idea of manifest destiny. Yeah. You know, you're aware, you must be aware of this, the idea. And it's the sort of the idea that America in its push to expand into the west of the continent yes. and to unite the entire continent as unlike Europe, which was very divided and lots of little countries fighting against each other, America would be a continent-sized nation united together under one ideology, one dream. And, you know, in order to try and make that happen, um, I don't know how it came about. Maybe it was the sort of ideals of the religious people who'd sort of set up communities there or something. I think that definitely influenced it. Yeah. But I don't think it's only a question of religion. I mean, I think that, that of course, those religions... Uh, well, what's ironic is, is that lots of the people who uh, immigrated to the United States in the 17th century yeah. were people who were fleeing countries right. where they couldn't practice their religion. Yeah. And so already it's a continent of outsiders, even if those people have, have since set up their own kind of dictatorships in their own way. Yeah. Um, the people who were first arrived were these outsiders. And so they, they said to themselves, you know, we're going to create a new society. So right. ever, ever since the beginning, like with the pilgrims, there was this idea that we're starting a new. This old, right. always, uh, idea of new world was very important. Right, okay. Yeah, I see. So it's a sort of a, it's like a project. Um, and, and that's, yeah, but in that sense of people being outsiders, there's the idea that um, they were somehow in resistance to the rest of the world. It's like us against the world almost. But the world were both your, your um, the, 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 the ones that you compared yourself against, like we want to be different to Europe, for example. Yeah. But also the audience for America, because you were like, hey, look at us. You know, you like needed the eyes of the world to like be on America in order to, you know, but show. But I don't know how much of that was the the states saying, "Come look at us," or how much the world wanted to look at the yeah. states. I think it's a mix. Yeah. I think it's yeah. it's both. But I don't know why there's such a fascination with the United States. It's interesting living abroad, uh, and you know, being. I have this joke where I say that when I grew up in New York, I thought that New York was the center of the world now that i live abroad i know it's true yeah because it's weird that i grew up near new york and and you think like uh well you know it's an important place but i didn't think it was like really because culturally important culturally important yeah i mean in terms of um the the like uh, fashion like but fashion not only clothing but just fat what's hip what's i mean mm. the states in general out in new york and la you know are the two yeah. big hubs like la especially for the the movie machine yeah but it's um 
I mean, a lot of music came out of, of New York and a lot of just culture. It's just this place that produces all this culture. And the, where, the, where I said the kind of the stasis and experiment, I think New York is the epitome of that. Yeah. Where New York was the city to receive the most amount of diversity as far as immigration. Yeah. And so it became the city that kind of represented this melting pot experiment. Right. And uh, I think that's kind of why it's always on the the world looks at New York uh, for that reason. So, so I'm guessing, right, that you going for this sort of uh, uh, America is a nation of of all the other nations in the world approach. Yeah. Uh, what's the American dream for you? Because I reckon there's two slightly different takes on the American dream. I might be wrong, but I think that I think it's it's roughly two takes on on the idea of it and i think they sort of correspond with the democrats and the republicans as well mm-hmm. and the, the sort of left right spectrum that you get in the states so i think the two versions are one of them is the american dream is something that everyone anyone can achieve doesn't matter who you are what your background anyone can make it to the top yeah. and the top spot being of course the president that anyone can actually go from the gutter to the stars and that we all stand we all start on a level playing field yeah, right. That's, that's the ideal. Yeah. yeah, and then the other one is the sort of meritocracy idea that um, that you can that it, it instead of it starting a, a level spot at the bottom, the ground level, it's more like the the bar is set at the top, and that um, if you can reach this this point in the top, then you deserve everything that comes as a reward and the, and screw all the people at the bottom yeah. they're just not working hard enough or they they don't have the 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 qualities necessary to succeed yeah. yeah and it's all about working hard and being aspirational and being completely positive and totally li- libertarian and the best the cream will rise to the top and we'll get the best of the best yeah the the you know um, uh, sort of the the american eagle idea of the sort of um burgeoning strong and dynamic sort of force that yeah. that that is the standard and i think the republicans have that idea uh because they don't believe in like you know welfare programs and so on and they want you know maybe it suits the the rich class too who are already at that level and yeah. then the democrats are more about equal opportunities and and helping people achieve equal status you know yeah um what do you do you think you're more of the democrat side I definitely think I'm more the Democrat side. I also think that in some way you explained America, the whole of American history with those two phrases. And since I think the, the, the States was built on the first ideal, right, and the reality today is the second ideal. Okay. So I think that that's interesting that you said those two because it's kind of like where <clears throat> the original idea came from and the results, right. 200 and what, uh, 30 years, 40 years later. Yeah the result of that and how that's been deformed. Yeah, because I suppose in, in, in the, the movement West and the struggle to populate against all odds, there was the frontiers that, that had to be crossed. You know, the geographical ones like the big rivers and the Great Plains and the mountain ranges and uh, and, and all that stuff uh, to get to populate the entire country. And the Native Americans, you know, to defend themselves against mm-hmm. them and the, the civil war and, and, and things that nearly tore the country apart and border issues with the Spanish and, the, and Mexico and stuff like that. Um, that in order to survive all of that stuff, you did have to be the best. And it, yeah. that process did, you know, cut out the weaker ones and the only the strong survived and that was like the the sort of marching call 
you know, in the push to West that, that people died on the route and the best survived, you know? Um, but yeah, nowadays it's uh, so diverse that, um, you know, you've got to go with the, with the more left wing idea that anyone could make it, but it's interesting. The two, uh, things, um, would you, how would you, another difficult question for you. Uh, if you, you've got up to three words, which three words would you use to basically sum up the United States? You've got up to, one, two, or three words. It's up to you. And if you, you can be clever and, and create compound words, yeah. which can, multi, you can multiply the number of words you can employ. Hmm. I think you said freedom before. Promise of freedom? Mm. So it's a promise. Yeah. You're definitely going to get it. Yeah, well, we don't know if it's a fake promise. If it's, oh, okay. if, if it's a promise that will not necessarily live up to its promise, yeah. but but that I think is kind of the the motto. Wow, that's that's good. That's it's um, it's positive. It's idealistic, but it's 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 certainly entertaining. No, but that's that's what we're attracted to. I think. Right. Yeah. We feel that that's you know, the American dream is kind of this idea that if we go there, we're we're someone owes us that freedom. Right. Yeah, because maybe there was that. That's built into the history too. That the idea of that this country is a wide expanse of land and uh, it's all open. It's you can have your yeah your your it, it's, it's, plot of it, land. It's like the best bit of advertisement anyone has ever done. It's just this America. Like America has always been thinking in advertising terms. I feel right. and kind of like put up a sign in front of you know the door to the rest of the world saying here is freedom this it, is the best way to live it's just like a huge real estate advert yeah and and that's what i should promise in the sense that like as an advertising yeah a slogan uh, a slogan is, is is a promise and right. it's just like well you can believe it or not but you have to test the merchandise to actually know right. if it's the promise is kept or not very interesting i was gonna say actually that is is there such a thing in fact as freedom like what is it and does it no, actually I mean, that's, exist? No, that's what's ironic about it, is that it's not clear at all what that means. And mm. and it's this word that uh, in the States is thrown around a lot, especially when it comes to politics. And and we don't really know what it means. I think it, everyone interprets it in different ways. I think the businessman interprets it as a, meaning no one's going to tell me that I can't exploit my workers or no yeah. one's going to tell me that I can't make $5 billion a year. And, um, you know, other people take it as, as uh, you know, I can hop in my car and drive across from ocean to ocean and yeah. not have anyone bug me. Or I can go to Starbucks with a gun yeah. on my belt, like a machine gun yeah. uh, on my belt or something. And that's my right. Yeah, and that's my right. And therefore, I'm, I, I will exercise it. Yeah. Um, but um, in, in sort of... But in, I mean, in positive, you know, I don't want to paint only dark pictures, but no. you know, in a positive way, it's like, yeah, well, you know, I can choose where I want yeah. to live. I can choose the school I want to go to, what products I'm going to buy, what restaurant I'm going to go to. I can talk about the government and not yeah. fear prison. So, you know, this is part of the promise as well. And whether, you know, for most of that, I would say it's, you know, pretty true in that regard. But, you know, there's always this dark side that that shows that it's not always true yeah um i do get the sense whenever i go to america i'm just in connected to it you know i always do get that feeling that there is a sort of hey you know let anything's possible there's an enterprising sort of vibe about the place whereas you go to some other places and you feel like no it's closed now this place is 
you know, like some some places you go to, it's just like you feel like a fairly restricted sort of view. But in America, it's more like, hey, yeah, let's just do it. You know, no. let's just do it right now here. Anything will, uh, you can, and it will it will work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's positive. Just this attitude. sort of yeah, yeah, gung ho kind of right. uh, uh, positivity. That's right. Um, uh, but I was thinking about just the idea of freedom, and in fact, in this, in an abstract sense, there is no such thing as freedom because there's always some restriction mm-hmm. to freedom. Even in a, even the fact that you know we're imposed upon by laws of nature and laws of physics so there isn't true freedom there if you're just left out in a field you know that's not really freedom because you're pretty restricted by needing to survive and breathe and the elements and all that stuff so you know there's no real freedom we're restricted within the sort of confines of the laws of physics and the universe Um, so it's definitely a a sort of uh, relative concept isn't it yeah it's and that's what's funny is that like as I said before, it's just like everyone. It is vague, yeah, and and it's I uh, and it feels like there's a paradox within the word, even yeah. you know, like as you said, like total freedom is not free at all. You know, you you might be stranded if you're totally free, yeah, and and um, so that's it's interesting to see like all these people on this one continent who has all the who have all these different interpretations of this one word and you see that even i think in some of the wording of the constitution like the second amendment Mm -hmm. um again i studied this in in the uh, semester at university so uh you know that's why i know it otherwise i wouldn't know i don't think most english people know about different amendments of the the U.S. Constitution. What's well, really, normal? I don't know different parts of the. I think I can quote the Second Amendment of the the, the Constitution. Um, it goes: "A well-regulated militia um, for the protection of no, a well-regulated militia for the protection of citizens, the right of which shall not be infringed." Something mm-hmm. like that. Um, a well-regulated militia with the right to bear arms of which will not be infringed, something like that. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 actually quite contradictory because you've got the right to bear arms will not be infringed yep. on one end, and at the other end you've got a well-regulated militia. Yep. So, like, um, it clearly shows, that even in the wording of the Constitution, that some regulation is a good idea. Yep. And yet, at the same time, people should be given the right to have guns but then that should be well regulated but i also think that it's it's like a a weird amendment because the gun situation in the 18th century is so different than what it is today yeah and also just even their situation they probably wanted needed to defend that right because they were in the middle of a revolution with the british where the british were telling them that you can't have guns because uh you know and so the americans of course wanted to defend their right to have guns because that was their means to get yeah. independence. Yeah. And so that situation, you have to put it in that political and historical they, context. They had no government. Yeah. When the thing was written, there was no government. The only government they had was an oppressive re- colonial regime, yeah. um, the English. Uh, so they, they actually had no government. So written into the Constitution is the idea that the, the citizens should have arms in order to protect themselves against the government, yeah. uh, against marauding foreign forces. Nowadays, people say of protection against crime. Yeah. But I think, I mean, maybe that was in there too, that people needed guns to uh, as hunting for hunting and also to defend their homes and Native Americans. Sure, well. and then, but you also have to think about the difference in gun technology between 1776 and 2014 is quite different. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and um, 
a semi-automatic military-grade assault rifle is not really what they had in mind when they no, talked about a well-regulated so. militia. Um, all right, that's the gun situation yep. sorted. Good. We're, what we're doing in this episode is going through a list of pretty much everything in American history. <laughs> that's what I'd like to cover in this episode. We're already 27 minutes in, and we're, we, we've pretty much dealt with the... I mean, aspects of the Constitution, some of the early days. But we're going to go through the rest of um, American history, and we're going to try and squeeze it all into one episode (laughs) of Luke's English Podcast. So the idea is that listening to this episode, not only will you get um, to listen to two people talking about subjects in a fairly advanced way, uh, you know, uh, fairly complex stuff, but also you'll get to know some of the basics of American history and American politics and culture. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> That's the high-minded ideal that I'm uh, using in this episode. I think it's very appropriate, considering this is a, an episode about America, that I should be uh, overly ambitious and maybe even idealistic <laughs> about the uh, approach to doing this episode. That's your freedom. That's my freedom. I, I'm just expressing my the right to the freedom that is uh, that obviously is well-regulated, uh, but that I have um, as part of my constitutional rights. Um, right, so George Washington set up the country and all that Constitution, founding mm-hmm. fathers and stuff We talked a bit about the uh, colonial war And how that affected gun control issues North-South, there was like a civil war in the States There was um, Nick, uh, not Nick, Lincoln, yeah. uh, of course You um, call him Nicklin Yeah, I might call him Nicklin as well I, I won't um, But he <laughs> was uh, quite instrumental in that period as well Um what what do you know about the uh, Civil War? Do you, did you study that at school? I did. Well, yeah, we we studied American history, and yeah. how much of that I remember is another story. But the the, the Civil War is uh, was kind of a pretty important turning point because there was always well tension between the North and the South, and this idea. I guess what's interesting is that when the United States was founded. There were kind of two ideologies, kind of, and 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 the further along in history uh, the United States uh, advanced, the more the this kind of split was getting more and more apparent, and it was kind of like this uh, very uh, northern idea, which is very uh, industrial, uh, city-based mm-hmm. economy and and lifestyle right. compared to the southern rural more traditional agricultural uh, agricultural uh society and and that being held up as the ideal and um and the clash came about uh finally in 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 a war in in 1861 i mean and and of course we talk about in our history books um often uh that the main source of this conflict was uh, the the issue of slaves mm-hmm and of course i think that's that's true but i also think that there was a very heavy economic difference right and i think well of course slavery is is attached was very important to the southern lifestyle yes uh and and way of making money the whole economy the was whole pretty economy based on it i was based on it and, and and basically the south would just lose large amounts of wealth yeah. as a result of slavery being abolished and then so the south uh, was very scared about being economically dependent on the industrial north. Right. And did that happen? Did it actually turn out like that? I don't 
the, the South. Uh, yeah, that the South became. was sort of like you know weak and dependent on the North. I I don't know that question is. I don't, I don't think I. I know. don't. Th- I don't. I don't think th- I know enough to be able to to say what the result was. Well, if we look at the North and South of the states, you know, this the generally the sort of from the mid to the East Coast, isn't it? Um, it's something like that. Um, it's not exactly South. It's not like a perfect line. No, um, but, no, but I, I don't think if the, if you're wanting to know if I feel that there's a difference today. No, I don't think there's much of. A I mean, difference. there's a bit of difference in in Culturally, culture. Yeah. Um, you get the sense that the people from the south are, are different. Uh, their accents are different, and their uh, their outlook on life is a bit different. Yeah. Um, but you don't get a sense that, like you know, in the south, there's more poverty than there is in the, in the north or anything like that. Yeah, I think there is. There is. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, I think there's more wealth in the north still. Yeah. Um, you know, you have pretty major cities that are quite wealthy. Uh, you know, I'm thinking of New York, Philadelphia, Boston, D.C. Yeah. Um, but of course, they all have uh, more poor neighborhoods in all those cities. Like but Detroit it, and, and stuff. Yeah, well, that's already starting to get west. I mean, Detroit, where to Detroit is today, where it's always been, yeah. <laughs> in, in the Civil War. Uh, that wasn't even really wasn't taken, even, wasn't taken, involved. It was too far west. Right, I see. Not fully developed. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so no, those places didn't even exist yet. Uh, pretty much, you know, in, in the American psyche uh, when it came to the Civil War. So what I'm saying is that today those cities in the South are, yeah, there is this, I think, still general and very general difference of uh, the North, you know, of, of wealth. And I think it's still more towards the North. Right. Um, so, but I don't think that that was, that hurts the South today and, but I'm yeah. coming from the North, so I don't know. Okay. All right. So, I mean, I, I think there is a bit of a North-South divide, but it's not l- l- necessarily that obvious. No, other I than, don't think it's that obvious. Other than just the way that people might behave and stuff yeah. like that. Okay. So slavery was obviously was abolished. Uh, big step. It, we don't see that it harmed the South that much. It must have done in the early years, but it's not like a long-lasting sort of damage. Mm-hmm. And there's no resentment, is there, these days between the North and the South? Yeah, there's, there's still stuff. I don't know if it's, it's resentment or... Uh, but I think there's still some cliches that each of them have of the other. And, yeah. And, uh, um, like, I think the problem of the North is that, you know, people often hear a southern accent and think the person is just not that bright. Yeah. Uh, they seem to be, a, I'm from the South and I speak like this. Yeah, kind of, kind of that automatically they're less intelligent and, the, and that they're racist or whatever. Yeah, it's the uh, sort of racist kind of um, Forrest Gump kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Life is like a box of, like a box of chocolates. Yeah. And I think yeah. the people from the South think the people are from, from the North are pretentious or... Yeah. Stupid in their own way, superficial, or yeah, it's exactly the same as as most divides in other countries. Yeah, like between the so. north and south of England, we've got the same thing, um, and uh, north and south of Italy, I believe, north yeah. and south of France, France as well, um, and plenty of other places too. Okay, so it's pretty, you know, the same kind of thing. It's funny, isn't it, how um, civilizations sort of like they have similar patterns yeah. of behavior. It's just like tribalism yeah. or something like that. Um, okay, so what about? Um, I was going to just ask you about what are the worst things, in your opinion, in US in American history, the things that you think that American people could be ashamed of in terms of their history with the eyes of the world on them? What I are think, some of the worst I, things? I think their foreign policy, yeah, uh, especially in the second half of the 20th century, um, in, in general already, but, but especially 
Yeah, I'd say especially in, this, in the second half of the 20th century, in the wake of World War II, where the United States really kind of saw themselves as the ultimate power mm. and abused it and uh, became a, a country uh, of scared people and paranoid people and, yeah. and, and, and kind of playing the policemen of the world and thinking that they had the right to. Um, and they still do. And But especially in the second half of the 20th century, that's when it really started. So from that point where slavery was, was um, abolished and the, the North and South sort of made up and all that stuff, mm-hmm. and, and you got America as a, as a, you know, the borders had been drawn, the lines had been drawn and stuff. And the, basically the place just became more and more prosperous, didn't it? Um, with yep. natural resources like the yep. oil fields and... Uh, and development and and then later on industrialization yeah um, that was and a major thing the railroads and and uh, the development of the big cities well f- f- yeah they realized that they had a whole continent to use and uh and they yeah they managed to bring the two coasts together with a transcontinental railroad and uh started to really exploit the the potential of the country yeah and it paid off because um and and this this again this american dream or the idea of manifest destiny that it was like you know uh, a a strong motivation to keep pushing and and also that idea of the frontier thing you know i mentioned of of getting across the physical frontiers but then there's that idea that the frontier spirit remained and it was like about breaking other boundaries, yep. uh, making progress, you know, in society. The whole idea that society was moving in a direction yep. and and ultimately that leading to things like the space race and, yep. and putting a man on the moon mm-hmm. and then, you know, advances in science and other things like that. Um, so um, how did I get onto that? What, why did I just mention that? Because we're talking about what I think is the worst part about human history. Um, oh, sorry, human, uh, American, uh, American uh, history. American history. And foreign, the foreign policy. Foreign That's policy. right. And, and it coming from maybe the idea of the manifest destiny that uh, the US has like a sort of God-given right to... It believed so much in the democratic system, the de- capitalist system, that it thought that this was the... The thing right sh- thing for everyone. Yeah, exactly. So that maybe explains some of the interventionist sort of things that happened in south america and and uh, all over the world i mean south america and asia uh in africa and so it's in the middle east especially so yeah they were able to stick their nose into most people's business it's very interesting though the the after, obviously after world war Two, where america was dragged into the conflict by uh an, the attack on pearl harbor mm-hmm. um and uh hitler declaring war on the states and all that stuff and then the campaign in europe and the, the pacific campaign mm-hmm. which ultimately was a, uh, it was a victory of american democratic capitalism over the extremism of fascism yeah uh, Japanese, I mean, in, uh, imperialism and and uh, German and Italian, well, German fascism, um, but then communism was was the the, the sort of the threat that that came out of the world of World War Two for the Americans. Yep. It was like two big blocks, communist and capitalist, competing on pretty similar uh, terms. Yep. And you mentioned this led to this fear that went through American society after the war. Well, the American government fabricated their worst enemy, their arch nemesis. And uh, when the the USSR had the capacity to drop an atomic bomb on the States, all of a sudden it was they became paranoid. 
that they would and uh, even though the United States spent much more and had many more weapons than the USSR ever did uh, the United States government managed to fabricate this fear this constant fear and and really have the whole population pretty much on edge Mm. for 40 years uh very weird period because if you look at the states in the 50s it's all diners and like awesome looking cars and it's all sort of roller waitresses on roller skates and it's rock and roll and this and bowling alleys and stuff and this amazing like drive-in movie theaters and all that stuff popcorn and everything and it's this sort of Disneyland kind of uh, universe that you were living in, and yet there was this dark threat yeah. of uh, some sort of the communist. Others. Yeah, the communists, the others. Exactly, yeah. you see it in a lot of American f- movies from the fifties. Well, all, all the like science fiction movies. Yeah, it was just a metaphor for the others, the Russians, the communists, the, yeah. the people who are not like you and so, who are coming to invade and. Yeah, like Mars Attacks, you know, those old 50s movies about alien spaceships coming and attacking. Yeah, it was all just about a fear of communism. Um, And um, so that, that I guess, finally came to an end with the Berlin Wall going down. But before that, we had various things going on. Kennedy assassination, Mm -hmm. of course, which um, still to me is a huge mystery. Yeah. Uh, Obviously, the, the... the official the official story mm-hmm. um, goes that uh, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald was like a communist, basically. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I still don't really know what the what I the don't, uh, I don't know what what the theory on on him was. I don't know if they said that he was just a communist or what. But, but it's uh, very fishy. It, everything is fishy about that. I mean, just the whole thing stinks of fish. It and does, it, and and it's uh, and I just don't know how. I guess like the American people are just like shrug their shoulders, just like ah, okay, just another total mystery that we're never going to know. I don't know. I don't think the American people have. I think that there's enough. There are enough people in the states who who are suspicious of that what? event. I think most people are. Sus- yeah, I, but, but I don't think anyone's bought it, right? I mean, I don't think I don't think anyone. But that's it's amazing. How can you have a whole country just saying, okay, I don't believe that story, and and they just go on with their lives. They don't do anything about it. I don't know what you can do. I think the story was that Lee Harvey Oswald was a sort of lone loser guy who was maybe a bit, um, you know, not very well. And he spent time in the in, in, in Russia or he was, he, had, he was a member of the Communist Party or something like that. And uh, for some reason, he decides to, to kill the president. Yeah. And he goes up to the book depository tower and he shoots him twice, uh, which is... Uh, I mean, the, 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 some of the suspicious things are the fact that it seems it would have been pretty difficult for him to shoot him. Um, um, I mean, it, twice like that. And also you see the footage of when the president gets shot. His body moves in a direction that you don't expect if the bullets are coming, coming from, from over his shoulder. Yeah. He's moving away from Oswald in his car. The bullets are apparently coming from just over his right shoulder. And the first one hits him in the in the throat, and you see him putting his hands up to his throat, and he's leaning forwards. The next one hits him in the head, and it flings his head backwards and to the left. Yeah. And you see, obviously, his head—you know—the bullet hits his head, and it's, it's very graphic. Yeah, it's pretty graphic. Something that many Americans would have seen is like a horrible sort of moment. You can't not see it. Yeah. Uh, the moment where you know he's a, a handsome guy and an icon, such a such a brutal 
moment. Yeah. Uh, and but the weird thing is the movement of his body that goes back like that. Why would? Well, we, it seems like yeah, it seems like there's he wasn't working alone. I mean, there's so many different things. It seems fishy from A to Z because it does, not only it just seems like he was a puppet that he wasn't even the person that he just the government found someone. And, yeah, and the fact that he was arrested quite quickly afterwards, and, and, then, and then and then assassinated, it, and then he was assassinated by a mafia guy. Yeah, a guy who owned like a bar, some low level mafia dude who'd basically been given the job of shooting oswald and and the 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 reason that was given why jack ruby shot him he said that he didn't want uh jackie kennedy to have to go through what was it yeah she didn't want jackie kennedy to have to go through such a difficult uh uh trial she didn't want you know it was she was doing it for jackie uh because um you know he didn't want her to go through a very traumatic trial yeah um Right, okay. An excuse of a uh, fifth grader. Yeah, it's like, yeah, I'm sorry, uh, my dog ate my homework. <laughs> it's, it's that level kind of thing. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. In fact, I, I definitely don't agree with a lot of those, and I find them very, very, very dodgy indeed. But I, I have to say there's something quite strange about yep. the Kennedy situation. And the, um, I mean, comedians like Bill Hicks talk about it, that, you know, that all presidents now, when they get the job... Um, when they first on their first day they basically are led into a dark room with a bunch of guys in black suits in the dark and they're all smoking cigars and they put on a movie there's a the screen and they start the film and it's just a slow motion footage of the uh, Kennedy assassination and they turn it off and they just turn back to him and go any questions you know as if to say look look don't mess with us yeah. that's the sort of paranoid idea that there's a bunch of shadowy figures that are running everything in the u.s um i don't really know about that but it's it's definitely weird um after that there was the sort of civil rights situation Mm -hmm. um uh, the civil rights movement the black um equality sort of situation and the hippie movement with the woodstock music festival Mm -hmm. um how do you sort of view the um the 60s and and uh, the music and the civil unrest well, I think there were kind of different movements happening that kind of all converged in the 60s. And I think it was um, uh, f- being fed up with this Cold War idealism that we have to live in fear. And I think it was kind of this backlash of like, no, love is there. And this yeah. kind of, uh, it was a generation where they were trying to put love as an ideal rather than fear. And of course, there was this also, what is freedom? I think this was kind of this... Uh, reassessment of of what america is and they were trying to put that in question and trying to push freedom to another a limit mm-hmm. and of course and this was a you know very free way of life uh, sexually speaking drug drug wise um it was just really trying to seek out what's beyond uh what's known and what we've always done before yeah and trying to throw away the generations of of uh, this kind of traditional lifestyle. Yeah, I think that they sort of the hippies and the beatniks um, took hold of this idea, this this one strand of the American thing, which is just freedom, and they just pushed it to to the limit. You know, almost it's almost sort of like the last ditched attempt at at uh, holding on to the idea of freedom. I feel like there's a tragic sense to that whole hippie movement 
which has a dark, sort of disappointing, melancholic side to it. Mm -hmm. And you see that in the 70s with people like Hunter S. Thompson. And the beat writers are actually quite sort of tragic characters. You know, a lot of them are junkies and they're degenerate at the end. And and, I mean, Thompson is, it was just incredible force in American writing. But that sort of anger that he had the fear and loathing yep. that he experienced just seeing the um, this this idea it was like the 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 moment where the innocence just uh sort of turned yeah, the, into cynicism and 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 um the naive, reality the naive aspect also because yeah. there was this kind of we can do anything which is you know whether you think so or not you know it was it, it kind of had this double-edged sword where it was kind of uh people were pushing things to the limit anything is possible but there's also danger there yeah and i think that the kind of uh hunter s thompson says it very well it's kind of like you see this wave going and then it finally breaks yeah at a point there was that that moment in hate ashbury in 1966 1967 or whatever that moment where the, the hippie dream reached its peak there was probably one hippie you know right at the peak of it who took an acid trip no. in like you know september 1967 or something and he reached the highest that anyone has ever got <laughs> but and, and uh it's, and all, been, fr- it's all been downhill from from then on um but it's yeah, it's definitely fascinating. I had something really interesting to say about that, and uh, I can't remember what it is now. Oh, it just made me think of the 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 book "Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas," mm. um, and the idea that these two guys went looking for the American dream, and almost like they were sort of uh, they knew that that it was over, yeah. and they wanted to see, they wanted to have a proper look. Well, and and of course they chose. Las Vegas. Las Vegas, which is kind of also a funny place because it's really the American dream to an extreme. Yeah. It's just, uh, we can do anything. Any, you know, you want to eat at any hour of the day, there's going to be food. You want to drink all that you want in excess. It's a city of excess. Yeah. And so that's why they chose to go there. It's because it's, it's a strange uh, kind of beast of, of the American dream, like brainchild. I feel like they could equally have gone to Disneyland. Yeah. You know, it's the same kind of thing. Like for me, Las Vegas is basically adult Disneyland. It's adult Disneyland. Yeah. And so they went there and they took all these psychedelic drugs uh, as a way of sort of squeeze, you know, cleaning the third eye almost yeah. to have a proper look at what America was. And and it's like the ugly dark heart of yeah. of American culture, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Uh, so that's no- nothing is real. Nothing is authentic. Everything is new fabricate you know and you can go anywhere in the world that you want to you can fulfill any dream uh and yet uh there's there's nothing there, in, and, but it, nothing is is real it's sort of nihilistic or something like that yeah and the the hippies sort of failed in a way because again what hunter s thompson says in that book that they they made the mistake that thinking that they could buy enlightenment um from like a five dollar acid trip yeah that, uh, that it all came, you know timothy leary thought that it was a consciousness revolution a, a revolution of the mind and that a new way of thinking a different you know sort of paradigm was going to exist but it was all just bullshit because they were high yeah you know and and they and it all turned bad you know a lot of those people ended up but i think hooked. i think the uh, the ideal is correct i think mm. the way they decided to go about it was was where they messed up it ended up in debauchery and excess and and hard drugs and and that was really tough and the drug scene 
after that became a really nasty street scene where you know a lot of people um, were suffering from it rather than it being a liberating yeah. uh, thing becoming um, addicted and yeah 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 all that stuff okay so it's it's sort of getting a bit heavy isn't it with all of this stuff about the death of the american dream and stuff and i did ask you before about what you thought would be the worst thing about the states but it's yeah. not all negative of course because i mean you know personally i i just think the, the states is an incredible place mm-hmm. and so many of the things that i you know really really like have come from america like for example you know the music and the j- the jazz and blues and all the derivatives uh, you know of soul and funk and rock and roll and all that stuff and hip-hop and also the movies and the the clothing and loads of things. Yeah. Um, for for you, what is the what would you say is the best thing? The thing that you're really proud that America has done or given to the world? Well, proud. Um, I don't think this is this necessarily the most well known thing about the states, but I am probably one of the things I'm most proud of is the national park system. Um, right. Because the United States had in front of them this giant landscape. And because the United States was one of the first industrialized nations, they saw in the 19th century this risk that industry can really destroy the entire environment. Mm. And they realized also that, that they had many places on in the United States that are very unique, very beautiful. Yeah. And that because there was they, they were the first country to have this industrial monster sweep across a continent they were also the first to say whoa wait hold on this place should be spared and and that system that they put in place to defend that this idea was never put in place before i think in any other country where the government says this spot of land you cannot touch you cannot grow anything all oh, right um th- this is protected and it's, na- and it's nature and there's n- it's illegal to hunt it's illegal to uh grow anything it, it, this will be preserved in its natural environment was that the new deal was that part no, of that no, no. no. okay no. all right this this is independent because it wasn't necessarily one it was it was an ongoing process but the first national park in the world is yellowstone national yeah. park yeah yeah and so it's a place and and Yosemite was right after Yosemite might be the first protected place in the world, and Yellowstone the first official well, national no, park. Nothing can be done there. It's like a huge sort of. Um, it's a reserve. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's not. No one can mine here. No one can log. You know, it's it's yeah. a place that that will be defended. And I, I I saw a documentary about it recently about the history of the national park system, and it's um, and it wasn't easy because lots of people you know like. Uh, cow herders, yeah. you know, started to just go over the border of the national park, and you know, and so there had to be like they had to s- set up a system of rangers. I know. was going to say, how did they? You say it's a, a place that would be defended. What what would defend it? Like bears, <laughs> like, like teams of bears, teams of bears and wolves, and, and wolves, and, and eagles would gouge out people's eyes. Yeah, okay, that's um, like the way it's defended by by elk. <laughs> things like that well they said they set up eventually had to set up this kind of police force national parks parks which eventually became the rangers rangers yeah they sound so cool yeah they do the sound rangers cool. it's a cool job have know? there been any movies about rangers i don't think so someone needs to make that film they shouldn't it must any- be an, an exciting 
Yeah, we could, you could probably get lots of great stories out of so that. So a ranger would be like a guy who sort of works on, in a national park. Yep. He's uh, sort of a bit of a cowboy type guy, maybe. Like a, a mix between a cowboy and a cop. Yeah, that's a good mix yeah. for a film. Yeah. I'm thinking, I'm th- imagine this situation, okay? It's like a sort of family drama. Mm-hmm. It was a coming of age story. You know, that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. Um, um, from generation to generation. Uh, they'd been rangers in the family. And it's like Tommy Lee Jones. He definitely has to be. He has he, to be like the grandfather. Tommy Lee Jones is the grandfather. He's still doing the work. Yeah. And he, you know, he carries a Smith and Wesson and, and all that stuff. Yeah. And then you've got Matthew McConaughey. His son. Who's his son. Yeah. And then maybe his son is like, um, who's that guy who was in Indiana Jones uh, and the Crystal Skull. Oh, I I haven't seen that one. Um, He's the one who really wants to be taken seriously as an actor. He was in the first Transformers film. Uh, You don't know who I'm talking about? (laughs) Shia Shia LaBeouf. Okay. You know him? No. You don't know him? Probably I know his face. Okay, you you will know his face, but maybe not Shia LaBeouf because he's terrible. Elijah Wood? No, no. Who always looks young? No, we need someone who's like a sort of a bit of a, a big star young star but like fitting that hillbilly kind of ranger cowboy cop kind of mold yeah could it would have been uh val kilmer 30 years ago val kilmer could be in the film yeah like a sort he, of he could he could be he's definitely in this universe val kilmer could be in it as a sort of um you know like uh, the role that's going to rescue his career yeah in yeah. this this is an oscar winning yeah. film that we're dealing with here yeah we just need the younger role and we need an emily adams amy adams has to be in this film yeah definitely Amy Adams is like, you know, the Matthew McConaughey sort of love interest. Yeah. But then there has to be a younger one as well, like, I don't know, someone from the Harry Potter universe or... Yeah, yeah, the British girl who can who will be a British ninja. Emma Watson. Emma Watson. Yeah, she would be doing her American yeah, accent. American accent, and she, would, she will win uh, an Oscar because she does the American right. accent very well. Okay, Emma Watson in there. There, there. there has to be something that gets handed down to the genders like a like a buffalo horn or something like right. that that tommy lee jones you know he like had to defend yeah uh a baby boy from a buffalo and like him him and matthew mcconaughey go out on like a rangers like sort of expedition where they've got to like free a wolf from a fence or something yeah and it's like you know they're going out and tommy lee jones is going did i ever tell you about the time when i had to f- uh, I had to free a wolf from a fence up in the north end of the range, and Matthew McConaughey's like, uh, uh, you know, just responding in the way that he would. Um, I think that's that's going to be. But a this, great spe- film. Th- this speech comes right after like a dangerous moment right. that Tommy Lee Jones uh, almost got bitten uh, by a rattlesnake or something like that. Right. You know, and 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 uh, Matthew McConaughey saved his life, and that's when <laughs> this, you know, that kind of what's. Uh, sprouted this conversation because Tommy Lee Jones saw death. It's like a bonding moment between yeah. father and son. Yeah. He was a father. He was a son and a father. <laughs> <laughs> he knew he suddenly knew what it was like to be a father. I, I think I think the name of this film would be Home on the Range. Home on the Range. <laughs> Cinemas near you from Friday. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Amy Adams from Academy Award nominee Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. Who would be the writer director of that? It's got to be from writer-director, whoever. Clint Eastwood. Yeah, Clint Eastwood. Uh, I'm thinking Brokeback Mountain with Ang Lee. No, it's a Clint, sorry, it's a Clint Eastwood film. Yeah, probably. Would be Home Clint. on the Range. And then Clint Eastwood is in the movie. He's Tommy Lee Jones' dad. Yeah, he's the, gra- he's the great-grandfather. Yeah, and yeah. he's like, 
Uh, what would he? What would Clint Eastwood say in this film? I guess uh, you got to get that buffalo out of that fence. <laughs> yeah, something like that. I, I think he would just be like too old and just be like, someone's got to change me. <laughs> kind of. Yeah, I just shit my pants again, <laughs> Maud. Um, all right, so we were saying that uh, the national parks is a, a thing to be proud of. Yep. And the rangers, the cool rangers who patrol uh, yeah, the parks. who defended it. Okay, all right. And and, uh, and then, of course, the other thing I, um, I think is a very wonderful contribution of American society, and I think that will probably be the thing that remains is entertainment. Yeah. As you were saying, it's just the wealth and variety of musical uh, influence and culture and, and then movies and television and comedy. And and it's just, it was just this bubbling yeah. of of entertainment, of pop culture. Yeah, and, and lots of good car chases. Lots of good car chases. Really good. And heists. Yeah, like bank robberies gone wrong. Oh, yeah. Where there's like a guy on the floor with his hands down and he's going to try and be a hero. Yeah. You know. And there's a red button somewhere yeah. that he should not touch. That's right. Yeah. Or there's like a, a countdown timer yeah. for a bomb. Yeah. And he's got to try and, de- you know, defuse the bomb in just just 10 seconds, God damn it. You know, it's it's a Bruce Willis film. And there's the wires that should not be crossed. Yeah. And this is Bruce Willis. He's got to cut through all the wires in a bomb. Yeah. And he's just a cop from New York. And he's like, God, how did I get into this shit? Again. Yeah. Okay. For the 16th time. And he's only there because he wanted to spend Christmas with his, his ex-wife. Yeah. Hey, come on over to come on over. We'll have a we'll hang out and have a few laughs. And he's like trying to defuse a bomb. Yeah, and his his <laughs> son is crying, and the mother is on the his ex wife mother's on the phone saying, "You have to be here right now. Your son is disappointed with you." It's like, how did, that, really, how did this happen? This, how did this, all this shit happen on the same weekend? <laughs> <laughs> it's always on the same weekend, and it's always Christmas weekend. Yeah. How did so much shit happen on Christmas weekend? Um, okay, I was going to go through other parts of American history, but I think that we may have sort of dealt with it all. Uh, Nixon and the Watergate scandal in the sort of mid to, to, to early to mid seventies. Richard Nixon, of course, um, found to be at the heart of a big corruption scandal where he was tapping the the phones and spying on his rivals at the the Democrat headquarters. And uh, it turned out that uh, he'd lied and all this stuff and he resigned. Uh, So loss of faith in the administration, I think, is basically what that means. Uh, Again, sort of fueling the sort of fire of the the alternative in America, which ended up sort of going into a slightly conspiracy theory kind of crackpot uh, direction. Mm-hmm. The hippies sort of thing, I, I think. In that in one way, and in the other way, the hippie thing just just fed into the entrepreneurialism and enterprising spirit in America. And you end up with people like Steve Jobs mm-hmm. and other like, you know, internet uh, specialists who, who did Silicon Valley and... Uh, the sort of uh, idealistic and the the the, the uh, Steve Jobs definitely was all about because he went to India and he meditated and he learned about Zen and all these sorts of things and he applied that to American uh, business and you end up with a company like Apple which has got this sort of minimalist almost sort of Eastern kind of um, uh, ethos yeah you know this sort of minimalist design and it's just so user-friendly it's very japanese yeah it is very japanese um just the minimal only the things you need and, yeah. and nothing else and purely efficient and the standards are very very high 
Um, and I think that came out of his experience of meditating and, in fact, taking acid. Mm-hmm. Because he talks about that in, you know, plenty of times, and it's in his biographies and things, that he actually used uh, LSD as a, as a sort of liberating idea for, for, for sort of uh, coming up with new ideas and breaking boundaries in, in business and design and things like that. Um, so, in one sense, the hippie dream went a bit weird, but in the other sense, it's fed into the business aspect, didn't it? Um, Reagan? What do you mm-hmm. think of Ronald Reagan? Well, uh, also it's another peer that I'm not such as an expert on. Uh, well, I'm not expert on any of this. <laughs> <laughs> I seem to be the expert on uh, America. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think I think I think you know more than why because well, it's it's you you studied it more recently. Yeah, I mean, I had to teach it. That's the thing. Ah, yeah. So when you have to, that's and for my listeners out there, if you want to learn about English grammar or any subject. Uh, what you need to do is decide that you're going to teach that subject to a group of people yeah. in your job, and suddenly you will just... When you're forced to be the specialist. Yeah, yeah. You've got to be the most clued up person in the room, or at least a, a bit. And um, so, yeah, it forced me to do lots of reading and uh, thinking about the, the subject. Um, so hopefully in this episode, we're, we're getting to the grips with what America is all about. Uh, I hope that this this I hope could be a very useful episode. Certainly, this is the sort of thing that my students have done this semester, compressed into <laughs> probably what's going to be about oh an hour and and twenty, an hour and thirty minutes. It's quite a long episode, but I think there's plenty of content in here. Reagan was was really all about like um, we got. You going to say something? Well, yeah, I was just going to say that he's kind of a return to kind of conservative culture. And uh, especially economically speaking, and kind of this like tight, hard fist uh, mentality that that was a counteraction against the seventies, like the sixties and the seventies, and uh, and becoming also stricter with the USSR and kind of bringing them to the breaking point, which mm. culminated in the fall of the Berlin Wall right after his. Uh, yeah, leaving office. Didn't they? He he developed the. Well, he was the president during the Star Wars thing, which yep. was like a missile defense system. Yes. So it's like, aha, up yours, Russia. You can't get us because yeah. we've got Star Wars. Yeah, um, and that maybe made Russia go, oh, 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 okay. Yeah, all right then. Let, let's just end this. Yeah, right let's now. just let's just chill out. It's fine. Uh, no, no problem. Everything's okay. Honestly, um, um, so Bush era, of course. You know, after the economic sort of uh, liberalism of. Of Reagan, Bush sort of followed with a foreign policy thing, didn't he? George Bush the first, who did you know the first Iraq thing and the yep. whole intervention in the Middle East, which um, we don't have time to go into. But I think since it's quite uh, recent, I think most of the people have a basic idea. Uh, certainly, with the second Gulf War after yep. Clinton, the B- George Bush, George Bush Junior, Junior. Yeah. W W, um, who, and what a president! <laughs> I mean, what can you say about George Bush? Uh, probably the one of the worst periods in American history. Yeah, I think that um, the conservatives in America would tell you that this is the worst period, the yeah, Obama administration. But it seems that the the rest of the world is not buying that. We still quite like uh, Obama. We're kind of like Obama's all right. Yeah, America, you don't like him anymore. Yeah, it seems it seems like he's disappointed. Yeah, uh, that you know he was it seemed like. I mean, that, that's kind of also the risk of, of the angle he was taking was like, I am the change. I am, mm. you know, it's going to be different from now on. And when he kind of used that rhetoric and, and kind of make those promises, if you don't live up to it, you, you know, you're going to get yeah. people uh, against you. And, and I think that's kind of what happened, generally speaking. Yeah. And 
well, you know, he was kind of pinned against a Congress that that was, you know, really refused to bow to yeah. anything that he proposed, and uh, so you know, he's he's not that popular. Uh, so, like, when the president wants to make a decision, he has to get uh, the Congress has to vote on it, yeah. and then uh, if the Congress agrees with the bill that the president has introduced, then it makes it gets made into a law. But yeah. if Congress is overwhelmingly Republican, in which is the case. And obviously, Obama being a Democrat, that means that if they don't want to allow him to do anything, they can just block all yeah, of his which, his, his... which is what happened yeah. in the last few years. They just refuse to vote on, on anything. And you end up with a stalemate where Obama's trying to push a whole program of nationalized health care, yep. immigration reform, and basically the Republican-dominated Congress with the influence of the Tea Party movement uh, is just completely refusing to, to play games and as a result obama is is um forced to take executive action uh bypassing congress and just taking uh immediate unilateral decisions without getting the votes just executive orders mm. which um are a bit controversial but everyone every president has done them apparently um but um the result is that the the republicans the tea party republicans are all claiming that he's um, violating the constitution by taking executive action, yep. and so they 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 think it's him. They're blaming him, saying, "Look at this! He's out of control. He's a tyrant." And uh, Obama is blaming the Republicans, saying that we can't do anything. They're just blocking it. In fact, last year there was a there was a, uh, a shutdown. Yep. The American government stopped <laughs> for a few weeks. Yep. What a disaster that was! It was just like it just stopped running for a while. Um, so George Bush though is a hilarious president. Yeah, <laughs> comedians like to make fun of him. Yeah, because there was so much to make fun of him for. Yeah, uh, and it just didn't make sense. It was just it was absurd There's, that this guy ever became president. And yeah, yeah, it's right. He just well, guess I'm the president. <laughs> uh, I don't know how it happened, um, uh, but uh, yeah, that, that was the thing. Like he seemed the the most clueless. Of how this happened. <laughs> yeah. And he's like there going, uh, well, you voted for me. Actually, you didn't. You didn't. But here I am. Yeah. So let's do it. There are lots of uh, comics who do really good uh, George Bush impressions. Yeah. Do you know a guy called Frank Caliendo? No. He's amazing. American impressionist. Yeah. And he does a really, really good uh, George Bush. It's, it's very, very funny indeed. George Bush is famous for his Bushisms, yeah. which are like mistakes and stupid things that he said. Yeah. The one he said, do you know what he said about France? No. He said, uh, the thing about the French is they, they have no word for entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> uh, criticizing the lack of entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah. But obviously it's a French word. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he said things like, I think the man and the fish can coexist uh, in the future. It's like the man and the fish can coexist, <laughs> really. Um, and lots of other stupid things. Yeah. Um, so... All right, what's going to happen in the future then? Uh, Is it going to be like Back to the Future, the the movie? No, flying cars and hoverboards, and someone having to run to save his parents. Yeah, um, yeah, we're going to have to run to save our parents. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we are. There's not much of a pension system, <laughs> no, is there? No, uh, it doesn't seem like. I think the United States is eventually going to. Uh, lose power more and more slowly but surely. Isn't China the number one? I believe so, yeah. yeah. I think it is now. So I, I already think the the tides have turned. Um, 
You're talking about the future exactly... Pers- well, I, I, I guess part of the future in some areas of the States is that they've just sort of gone, ah, oh, well, let's just smoke some weed and, and not worry about it. They've legalized marijuana in, in a few Many states. states, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Colorado. Colorado. Yeah. Well, it's Colorado, Washington. Well, it's illegal in the state of California if you have a permit. Right. Apparently, to get a permit, it's very easy. You just say, I've got a bit of a head cold. Yeah, I've got a stomach ache and... Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think that part of, I think part of the population of the States are like fine with the States not being the, the power. Everyone's just going, Oh, well, maybe we, maybe, uh, maybe we shouldn't be, maybe we're okay. We're just, uh, just get on with our lives and everything's all right. We don't need to have this gung ho mentality and all the time. Yeah. It's just, we're okay. We've got humor and we've got our culture and the things we love and all our sports you know, it's like we're like Aust- we're not really any different to like Australia or you know uh, other any other country. You yeah. know, we're just really into sport and we make kick-ass movies and we make good music and we're crazy. Yeah, you know, we're completely insane and we have like these weird uh, music musical acts like um, you know like Katy Perry or like uh, what's her name Lady Gaga and all this yeah, stuff. Lady Gaga. I mean, what's wrong with that? It's great. Yeah. And that they they're like okay well we might be losing power but that's fine that's cool we're re- it's a relief and in fact really like we'll just do our stuff China and America America is fully invested in China anyway yeah. because they've got like you know businesses running there and all that stuff so all the sort of maybe the divides that we've had before are sort of not as important as the other economic ties yeah it seems things are blurring in that sense yeah i think it's one of those financial ties that are actually more important than than geographical ones and that one country's um benefit is sort of the benefit of everyone else in a way may i don't know is that you think so um well i i think that there's more uh well yeah there's definitely more cross breeding here i think many people are going to other countries investing so yeah and i i think it's not so much a question of borders uh, that much anymore mm. i think it's more a question of e- economics as you said yeah okay all right well i think what what's happened probably in this episode is that the ship has run a dry we've <laughs> sailed across the atlantic ocean and we're just like <laughs> we've just the ship has just hit the beach at where where would we land cape cod or something cape cod we've just <laughs> onto the sand just yeah. run aground and here we are. We've arrived in America, and we've done our homework, and we have no idea what's what's in front of us. Yeah, maybe Native Americans. We don't know. Maybe McDonald's. Maybe McDonald's. Well, probably both. What What should we do? What should, as a Native American yourself? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in a sense. Uh, yeah, very uh, vague sense. Um, what's What should we do on our first day in in the states now that we've arrived? What do you want to do? I think we should hit the road. Yeah. Yeah. Get in the car and and start exploring. What kind of car are we going to drive? A 1957 Chevy. Okay, 19. 19- yeah. All right. We're going to play rock and roll on the radio. Yep. And we're going to rock drive- and roll that doesn't even exist. Like we listen to Beatles uh, in the car. Yeah. Okay. And we'll drive down Route 66. Yeah. And drink Coca Cola and and go surfing in California. Yeah. Okay. That sounds like a pretty good ending to the podcast. Not bad. Yeah. yeah. Um, At least there's sun there. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. The sun. The there's sun. the beautiful girls. Um, Pamela Anderson. Yeah. Um, although she's getting on, she's a bit old now, isn't she? Yeah. I don't. I don't know. I don't think I want to know the state of her breasts right now. No. 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 Let's keep them as they were in in nineteen ninety five. Yeah. When they were at their best, at their peak. Exactly. 
Um, I think that's probably a fitting moment to bring this uh, episode of the podcast to an end. And on balance, uh, as it were, um, we've we've arrived at uh, Pamela Anderson's breasts, which, which maybe is kind of the end where it's where it should it's, end. It's I the think. logical end point for, for all a, of American culture. Yes, and the story of uh, of America. Okay, well, thanks very much for guesting on the podcast, <laughs> Sebastian. Thanks for having me. And uh, I hope you don't uh, mind being sort of quizzed on on the U.S. history like this. Yeah, I'm strapped to a chair. You don't see You've it. You've got no choice. He, he strapped me to a chair. Yeah, I forced him to to explain and justify his entire nation, and I think that um, I think it came out all right in the end. Yeah, yeah. With uh, with Pamela Anderson's breast. Exactly. Okay. Thanks very much for listening to the podcast. I was going to say that, that I, I would put a picture of Pamela Anderson's breasts on uh, <laughs> teacherluke.co.uk. I don't think I need to stoop to that low level to try and persuade my listeners, even the female listeners. I don't know if you're interested in that. You may not be. You may be. I don't know. But uh, I'm not going to do that. Uh, I, but I would say go to teacherluke.co.uk and just uh, visit the site. It's very nice. And leave your comments there. We'd both like to, to hear your responses to this episode. And read them. And read them as well. Exactly. Thanks very much for listening. Speak to you again very, very soon. But for now, it's goodbye. Bye. 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 Thanks again for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar, and pronunciation teaching from me, and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.